Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Tuesday the 14th of January. Coming up, ban on using credit cards for gambling. People say that it's led to them having uncontrollable levels of debt. Uh, So I'm very pleased to see this. Mum criticises slow autism diagnosis. It's incredibly frustrating and upsetting to see your child struggle and not know why. And former footballer urging parents to behave on the sidelines. It's not a Premier League at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. It should be a social development skill because, let's face it, not everyone goes and plays in the Premier League. Kent Online News. Online bookmakers' share prices have fallen after it was announced from April they won't be able to take payments on credit cards. The Gambling Commission says it wants to stop people spending money they don't have. According to them, research shows more than a fifth of people placing bets using credit cards are problem gamblers. Culture Minister and Faversham MP Helen Waitley has been speaking to Sky News. Well, the Gambling Commission is the body that regulates the gambling industry for the government. Um, so I mean, we work very closely, as a minister, work closely with the Gambling Commission. They will be taking this actually forward, though, this ban on credit cards. I've been very keen to see us move forwards. Um, on this as part of making gambling safer, as have my predecessors in my role like Mims Davis and Tracy Crouch before back in 2018, um, who kicked off this whole piece of work. The important thing is that we have looked at the evidence around gambling with credit cards and seen that that is where there is much greater risk than when people gamble with debit cards or with cash. There's a particular risk around gambling with credit cards um, because that's where that around a quarter of people who gamble with credit cards um, come into this category of being problem gamblers, where actually there's some material harm to themselves, their family, their lifestyles from gambling. And so by banning credit cards, we hope that we'll make it safer, particularly for people at risk of getting into trouble with gambling. We try and take a balanced approach here by enabling people who want to gamble for a bit of fun, um, gambling within their means, gambling occasionally, to be able to do so. And that's certainly the right thing that people want to be free to do that, but also to protect people particularly vulnerable because gambling can be truly addictive and harmful. This will apply to companies who are... um, providing gambling services, if you should call it that, to anyone who's a UK uh, gambling in the UK. So the Gambling Commission licenses anybody who sort of provides gambling um, to people in the UK. So actually my understanding is they see this as part of the government and the Gambling Commission taking sensible steps to have what the, the lingo might be a sustainable gambling industry. So we know that it's really important Um, for gambling to be regulated so that it doesn't take advantage of vulnerable people. And we will take steps to do that. And I think the gambling operators recognise that and appreciate their responsibilities as well to make sure that people aren't taken advantage of. On the relationship with financial services uh, companies and the banks and the like, um, something we're also announcing today is that gambling operators must be signing up to GamStop, which means that people can... Um, opt out of being able to gamble, essentially, and sort of can, can sort of ban themselves. Well, you can do that um, uh, through through the gambling websites and also, for instance, through your uh, own card. So, for instance, a banking app. Uh, many banking apps now let you set, exclude yourself from being able to gamble. So we are working you know, across with, with wider organisations, but that goes you know, hand in hand with to me, this very specific focus, working with the Gambling Commission on credit cards as a 
riskier way of gambling than other ways of gambling. Well, the move's been welcomed by a Kent campaigner, but it's claimed more still needs to be done to tackle issues within the betting industry. Vince Maple, who's leader of the Labour Group on Medway Council, has spent years fighting for more regulation. Well, this is a very positive step by the Gambling Commission. This is something which should have happened, frankly, many years ago. Uh, The industry have had an opportunity to... Um, get themselves in order when it comes to people gambling online with credit cards and they failed to do so so now they're being regulated uh, and rightfully so. As I've often said I'm not anti-gambling but I am anti-problem gambling and that's what people using credit cards often will say that it's led to them having uncontrollable levels of debt. Uh, So I'm very pleased to see this. We need to see uh, a gambling industry act with responsibility. When they fail to do so, we need to see regulation happen, and that's what's happened today. We've seen uh, over many years, when I've been talking to people about the issues of problem gambling, uh, many people have said, actually, why are credit cards available for people at all? Uh, they're, they're not uh, real money in that sense. It's not their money. It's money which is effectively racking up debt from uh, second number one. Uh, so from that perspective, I think it is the right move, and it's a move which should have happened, frankly, years ago. There's no one solution to stopping problem gambling. Uh, I recognise that, but it's about making sure that uh, whether it's the products that um, uh, the gambling industry use, like fixed odds betting terminals, or whether it's the method of payment, in this case credit cards, the gambling industry needs to make sure that they're acting responsibly uh, to ensure that they don't have uh, the level of problem gamblers that we've seen in the past. To see problem gamblers being one in four of those um, uh, nearly who are using credit cards, you know, that is a completely unacceptable uh, statistic and one that needs to be stopped immediately. Uh, And that's why I think the uh, intervention from the Gambling Commission is a very positive one and one which I think hopefully will see that change. We will never be in a position where we've got zero problem gamblers. It's like any uh, situation where you have addiction. You can't get that figure down to zero, but you can absolutely uh, put steps in place to reduce it. And today's decision by the Gambling Commission, I hope, will go some way to further decreasing that. Having campaigned on fixed odds betting terminals for years, I was pleased to see that change happen. We've seen today's news from the Gambling Commission, but there's still more to be done. I think two areas which need to be looked at uh, quickly uh, would certainly be around the issue of uh, the relationship between um, sponsorship uh, and sport, in particular football. We've seen the issues recently where, again, to watch some of the FA Cup matches, you would have to have an account with a gambling company. That doesn't feel right to me. And alongside that, an increasing issue of um, loot boxes and the link between video gaming and gambling. Again, in other European countries, we've seen um, the state take much better and stronger intervention. I think that's something we need to be looking at urgently. I've seen some concerning statistics at the level of um, people who are under 18 who are gambling. So again, if we've got those issues in place as well, more needs to be done there. So certainly today is a positive step in the right direction, as was the changes to fixed odds betting terminals. I'm pleased to have been part of that campaign. But we need to do more, and I say for for me, those two areas in particular are ones which I think we all need to see more 
change happen um, in the future. Kent Online reports. Four men have been found guilty of killing a man in Maidstone in a row over drug dealing in the town. Wesley Adyinka was stabbed in Knight Rider Street in February last year while his partner was injured. One defendant's been convicted of murder, while three others found guilty of manslaughter. Hundreds of workers face losing their jobs after a factory in Sittingbourne announced it was closing. Antolin Interiors in Hartlip makes car parts for companies like Jaguar Land Rover and employs around 300 people. The UK regional director has blamed the decision on a global slump in car sales. Iran says it's made arrests over the shooting down of a Ukrainian passenger plane after the president vowed to punish those responsible. Hassan Rouhani's called the disaster last week an unforgivable error. 176 people died, including a man who worked as an engineer in Dartford. Kent Online News. It's emerged a mum was over the drink drive limit when she crashed into a tree near Canterbury, killing her and her teenage passenger. 27-year-old Lucy Leadbeater was also uninsured and said to be driving dangerously when it happened in Women's World in September 2018. An inquest has heard neither she nor 18-year-old Casey Hood were wearing seatbelts at the time. Police have released a picture of a man they want to speak to after another man was stabbed at McDonald's in Gravesend. The 19-year-old victim is also thought to have had a substance thrown at him on the Friday night before Christmas. He's now been discharged from hospital. You can see the CCTV image at kentonline.co.uk. A paramedic from Sittingbourne has avoided being sent to prison after stealing morphine from his bosses. Andrew Daffy faked reports to try and cover up taking the drug which he was using to treat a back problem following a car crash in 2018. The 27-year-old from Middletune Avenue in Milton has been given an eight-month suspended jail sentence and ordered to do 150 hours of work for the community. A Kent mum who had to wait two years for her son to be diagnosed as autistic says not getting the right support was soul-destroying. Helen Harland from Raynham has spoken out as the charity Ambitious About Autism say the slow process is leaving many people feeling isolated and helpless. She's been telling Sky News about her four-year-old son Evan. So we first um, started noticing um, that he was having challenges around 18 months old. Um, primarily some of the groups that we had taken to him him to regularly from a very young age he suddenly started getting really upset screaming wanting to leave um, which at the time we thought you know a bit of a temper tantrum but now that I know about sensory etc um, we know that that was actually sensory overload um, but we just didn't really know how to to help him and you know you get a lot of advice saying things like be firmer with him uh, he's pushing his boundaries, etc. But actually, being firmer with him was probably the worst thing that you could do because, you know, um, when an autistic person's having a sensory meltdown or sensory overload, it's, um, you know, that's the last thing they need is someone shouting at them. So, um, so that was when we first started noticing difficulties. And then he he had about ten words in his vocabulary because he was only 18 months old. But by the age of two, he he'd stopped speaking completely, um, and we lost a lot of. Uh, eye contact with him uh, he lost interest in playing with toys and things like that so things uh, didn't really progress for quite a while because um, and I know this might sound silly we didn't really think to go to a doctor because it was really hard to put your finger on on what the difference is between you know our son 
was compared to, to other children. Um, and you, you felt like you couldn't go to the doctor just to say, oh, well, my son's screaming a lot when we go to groups and, um, you know, he doesn't like playing with his cars anymore. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like something, you know. Um, so we carried on um, just, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it, thinking it might have been a phase. Um, we got a lot of support from the Children's Centre. Um, and unfortunately, there has been budget cuts to that now. Um, so there's probably not as much support as we were lucky to receive then. Um, but it wasn't really until his development assessment at two and a half years old that, you know, the, the health team agreed that he was um, behind, for a better word, um, in a lot of areas. And that's when they started referring him um, to see a paediatrician and for speech and language therapy and for a hearing test and things like that. So it was about a year from when we first noticed the differences before we started getting the referrals and then almost another year before the referrals were accepted and we finally got to see a paediatrician. It's incredibly frustrating and upsetting to see your child struggle and not know why um, because everybody wants the, the best for their child um, and you're, you, you question constantly if you're doing something wrong. When, um, when people say oh, it's, you know, only a few months before you can see this person. That doesn't sound much in the grand scheme of things, like, oh, you know, it's only three or four months away. But when you're trying to help a child on a daily basis that's upset, it's very difficult. So, yes, it's upsetting. And everybody says to you, early intervention is key. Um, the earlier you help a child, um, the better. Um, so as a parent, being told those things but not getting that help um, is, is just... It can be soul destroying, to be honest. Um, so the paediatrician was absolutely lovely. Um, our son was actually, um, which I think is actually quite uncommon, but he was diagnosed in his initial paediatric appointment. Um, but he does have um, many traits um, of um, of the uh, children on the autistic spectrum, um, including being obviously nonverbal. So um, it was quite sort of obvious to her. Um, and after that, it was essentially we were just sort of told, you know, there's support in the community. We were given a couple of names of a couple of charities and that was kind of it, really. The um, the support didn't really change. Um, he was already receiving speech therapy because of being nonverbal. Um, but but that was about it. There was no, you know, introduction to autism or anything like that for us. It was, you know, we felt very much like we had to go out and do do the looking ourselves and, and trying to find information. There's so much available online, but not all of it is entirely accurate. Um, uh, so it's, it's quite difficult. So Evan was diagnosed a year ago, um, just over, just after his third birthday. Um, so it was about a year and a half ago now, um, and he started school now. So after the diagnosis, um, we started referring for an educational health and care plan. Uh, with primarily to make sure that he got into a school that was appropriate for him. Um, Evan has learning difficulties as well, which we discovered during that process. Um, and so he's in a school uh, for children with um, profound and complex needs, um, primarily with learning difficulties. And seeing him, he only started there in June in the, this, of 2019 um, in the nursery and then went up to reception in September of 2019. And um, the, the difference is amazing. Um, he's already starting to do so much more and um, seeing him being able to do that and being so much happier is just wonderful for us. Well, the key things I would say to other parents is really don't worry so much about a label or a diagnosis, but actually 
worry about supporting your child's needs um, because in the early years it's incredibly difficult a lot of children um, you know like routine and, and boundaries etc um, and it's really just supporting those needs as opposed to uh, worrying about whether they're this that or the other um, and the toolkit that Ambitious About Autism have launched would have been invaluable to me and um, you know I know a couple of people that are going through what now what I went through you know two three years ago um, and it's it's going to be really helpful to be able to signpost them to that because everybody's journey is different every child on the autistic spectrum is different and that's what makes it so complicated it's not just a case of saying oh my child's autistic so I need to do this that and the other um, so the more information that you have that the better equipped you are to to help your individual child. Um, I mean, there's a very common saying, once you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And that is very true, I found. So it's frustrating not being able to help other people in the sense of I can't speed up the waiting times, I can't speed up the diagnosis times. But I can say to them, just look at your child and what they're finding difficult and look at these resources available and see how you can help them. But in the meantime, don't do what I did and sit on your hands worrying. You know, you can speak to a GP about these things. Um, here's a checklist that you can find in this toolkit, which will tell you what to ask and who to speak to. It will help you broach those difficult um, conversations with family because obviously grandparents and, you know, aunts and uncles and siblings, if you've got older siblings, will ask, you know, why is, you know, our child, you know, or our grandchild doing things like this and, and not the way we expect, etc. Um, so it's really helpful to have some guidance on on how to have those conversations. So there's a, a great line that um, I think in the toolkit that, that says that autism is many things, but it is at the end of the day, a different way of seeing and experiencing the world. Um, it's not a, a disease. It's not an illness. And there are some fantastic things that my son, you know, gets out of life that I wish as neurotypical I could enjoy properly with him. Um, but it also does make things very challenging for him and, and parents really need that support. Um, and even if it's just a gentle nudge in the direction of where to go and who to ask for help. NHS England say it's working on new data to help improve autism diagnosis. Kent Online reports. A man's appeared in court accused of attacking another man with a pair of scissors in Ashford High Street. The victim was taken to hospital with arm injuries after it happened near the John Wallace pub on Sunday. The 27-year-old pleaded not guilty to three charges. He's due at Crown Court next month. A man with a distinctive tear tattoo on his face is being hunted by police after a woman was mugged in Queenborough. She had her purse stolen and was punched after leaving a shop on Main Road and crossing into Stanley Avenue. It happened back in November, but police have now released an e-fit of the suspect. You can see it at Kent Online. A weather warning for strong winds and heavy rain is in force across Kent. The Met Office say gusts on the coast could reach up to 70 miles per hour between now and midnight. It's feared downpours until tomorrow morning could lead to some flooding. 
The cost of a bus pass used by thousands of Kent children could be going up again. The county council say inflation means they're having to pay bus companies more. Last year, the price of an annual pass for 11 to 16-year-olds went up by £60 to 350 It's not known yet how big the latest rise might be. Kent Online News. A court heard how a man who was punched in the head as his bag was stolen in Northleet managed to chase after and catch the robber. He was walking home from the train station late at night in September when John Oakes asked him for money and then attacked him. The 18-year-old from Granville Road in Sheerness was apprehended by the victim and two members of the public. He's been jailed for more than three years. More than £220,000 has been spent on security at a derelict hotel in Gravesend, which was meant to be turned into a new petrol station. The toll gate off the A2 was shut in 2006 and hasn't been used since. More than half the money has been paid out by Highways England. The government's due to make a final decision on the future of the site. A man who had to have part of his skull removed after being attacked on a night out in Ramsgate has vowed to continue his fight to get better. Joe Shaw was left unable to walk or talk after it happened two years ago during a trip home from Australia. He's now had reconstructive surgery and is determined to be able to live an independent life. Details of fundraising events to help him are in our story online. And a former footballer from Kent is encouraging the parents of young players players to think about their behaviour on the sidelines. Lenny Griffiths had England trials as a teenager and also spent time with Millwall, Wimbledon, Torquay, Folkestone and Deal Town during his career. He's now written a book to try and make sure children are getting the positive encouragement they need to enjoy the sport. I've had a really nice football career, lots of friends um, and then I went into coaching kids and I've had some great rewards and watching that and then when I've stopped coaching I've sort of had a little reflection period and I've seen me friends grandchildren play and there's still some issues around football and I've had a football journey so I've sort of had a good variety of watching all different and seeing different sides of the football spectrum and I've just really put down what I've noticed and what I've learned just really so I can finish finish my journey in the sport you know it's just something that was niggling me something I've noticed and um just needed to get off my chest really. I think when a coach goes and does his level one, he gets a guide, he gets guided by the FA. I think our players then get guided by our coaches. Everyone else in the football team from in the clubs, they're all guided by affiliates and associations, but there's nothing to guide the parents. And sometimes emotions in football is that's why we're all in football, love it, because there's so many emotions every game. Every, every time there's a game there's playing, winning or losing, there's emotions everywhere. And parents get wrapped up in that, and that's fine. But sometimes we need to sit down and sort of evaluate ourselves in and around the sport to see how we can help it ourselves as a parent. I mean, look, winning and losing is part of the game. I think it should be competitive, but then I also should think... It shouldn't matter who wins or loses. Not from the young age. You know, there's so much more social value. Football football gets so much more benefit as a community if we use it towards the right right way. And, and that means educating our children from a young age to get self-respect, learn respect, learn listening and community feeling and team bonding, friendship, all the things that 
all the hundreds of things that you're going through football, apart from winning a game, getting the scoreline. You know, it's, it shouldn't just be about that at the early age. That will naturally come as t- people progress in the sport. If we're all aware ourselves, and you have a self-awareness as a parent about our role in football, this guide can help because it can teach you as the parent what your role in the football journey is to help your child. So we all want a great environment for children to play football. And I think, you know, everyone's got a guide apart from the parents. So this is just a little, it's, it's not too big. It's, it's just enough to be able to flick through 15, 20 minutes reading. Hopefully quite enjoyable. It gives you tips. In training, you always see a kid, they're all relaxed because mum and dad's not normally there. Mum and dad drops them off and they, you know, or they stand on the sidelines or they're not as much involved on a match day so the kids they can really express themselves and have fun and then when match day comes they seem a little bit more burdened with the pressure of the expectation to win the expectation to play well score a goal or you know whatever that be and as a natural as a player naturally you've got your own goals you've got your own expectations you've got your own worries about the match and you don't really need everyone else's worries put on top of you so you really you just need to be free from that, free to be able to make a mistake, free to win or lose a game and ultimately enjoy it and have all the things that football brings to people without that pressure of, of that need to, to win. It's not a Premier League at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. It should be a social development skill because, let's face it, not everyone goes and plays in the Premier League so or even is lucky like me to have earned money from football. So, you know, doing a hobby they love and you can make it part of your living. It's fantastic. Not everyone does that. So we've got to get the social element right, I feel, for the children at a young age. So if they do fall out of football, they've still got all the gains from it in the long term. And I think as a parent, we've got a guide now to help them. Where the coaches have got a guide and the children are guided, this time I think the parents have got a guide now so everyone's got a guide in and around football. That's what it's for. It's not to blame or push, you know, it's not to blame or say who's to blame here. What it is is just to say, look, this is our role as a parent. Um, just like a coach, when he goes and does his course, that's his role as a coach. So, you know, that's what he's trying there for. His book's called Bring Joy to Your Child's Football. That's it for now, but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news throughout the day. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.